wife and I first moved here into the community <coughs> and attended St. John's, and Chris learned that I was an ordained Presbyterian minister, he said, would you like to preach? I said, no way. <laughs> I am retired. <coughs> and then um, he announced that January he's going on sabbatical, and I thought, well, you know, the courtesy thing to do would be to volunteer to assist Heather and Chip uh, in the preaching schedule. And wouldn't you know, they took me up on it. <coughs> so here I am. Uh, when I was in seminary, uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, which is maybe 100 miles from New York City, the preaching professor said, what you want to do with your sermon is title it in such a way that when it appears on the board of, say, the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City, the Fifth Avenue bus coming down Fifth Avenue, passengers would see your sermon title and say, wow, I'm going to get off and go hear that sermon. Well, we, uh, we would joke about that, and you can imagine the titles of sermons that, that we would often <laughs> present. <laughs> but I thought, well, why not? I'm here in Marin. Title your sermon. So the sermon title is The Proof of the Wine is in the Serving. Now, the problem with sermon titles is then you've got to kind of explain it. Now, I don't mean the alcohol proof. So, on we go. <clears throat> I think the reason I volunteered is the fact that I, I wanted to thank Heather and Skip and for their preaching, and the, John especially, and the choir for your music ministry. That is one of the things that I think draws both my wife and I here as far as church attendance and, and just hearing good substantive preaching and magnificent music. If you weren't here at Easter, you missed a rendition of a postlude that you only hear very rarely. And John, thank you again. And choir, thank you for all of your ministry of music for us in this congregation. Our collect asks God to open our eyes and our ears to know and witness the unexpected ways in which the Spirit of God is at work in the world. And our scripture text from the book of Acts and the Gospel of Luke offers us some insight and guidance today, for surely we need it. These are tumultuous times. I don't really need to say that. Just in conversations, no matter where you are these days, these are tumultuous times we all voice. There are a lot of angry voices. There are a lot of angry actions. A kind of culture of fear and paranoia has sort of gripped the whole world, as it were. Tumultuous times aren't anything new. <clears throat> Some of us remember the 1960s. November the 22nd, 1963. <clears throat> I was in Princeton, New Jersey, my third year of seminary, driving back to the campus from <clears throat> out on Route 1. I was in my car with Texas license plates. 
And as I drove through town, Nassau Street, people were shaking their fists at me and shouting, cursing. I had no idea what in the world had happened. Got back to the campus and learned that President Kennedy had been assassinated in Dallas, Texas. <clears throat> Civil rights and Vietnam War protests were scattered throughout the 60s. I think those were expressions of righteous anger. Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy assassinated in April and June of 1968. Thankfully, guns were not so prolific in the 60s, and the term mass shootings really wasn't in our vocabulary. The anger of the civil rights and the war protests were righteous anger. But the anger today seems to be a kind of a personal aggrievement. You rang my doorbell as a black person. You drove up my private driveway. Your basketball rolled onto my lawn. A leaf blower argument here recently turned into literally a shooting in which a gentleman was killed. And then Friday night in Texas, <clears throat> neighbors ask a man to stop firing his A-15 because of the noise that had been ratcheted up <clears throat> and was keeping their baby awake at 11 p.m. at night. Five people were killed, an eight-year-old included. Americans are made today to feel that you need a, a loaded gun nearby. You need it at home, you need it in your car, your pickup, or whatever. No matter where you are, open carry is what it's called in many states, and all for, quote, protection. <clears throat> there is voiced righteous anger today, thankfully, by two legislatures in the Tennessee legislature. <clears throat> but there's also an uneasiness all across the country fear, frustration, bewilderment. So how can we hear Jesus' voice? How can we hear the Spirit's bidding with so much bombarding us in terms of the noise? How can we know where Jesus is leading in today's world? As the church, the body of Christ, we gather here from Sunday to Sunday to find our guidance, to find our way in this world in which we live. And the church lives by way of a calendar, <coughs> a calendar of seasons. Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter. Here we are, Easter, the fourth Sunday. And also, post-COVID, here we are living in historical time, 2023. Post-COVID, I'm not so sure. Some of us still wear masks when we hit the grocery store or wherever. Our scriptures for this post-Easter Sunday combined Luke's account of John the Baptist sending his disciples, two of them, to question Jesus about his credentials, the proof of his authority, his authenticity. They want evidence that he is the Messiah. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? In the book of Acts, Luke gives the account of the beginnings of Peter's ministry, a 
and the church. Jesus claims his authority, according to Luke, with a litany, a litany of what's happened. His evidence isn't doctrine, but concrete events. Jesus doesn't say, yes, I am the one. No, he points to the events, the events as his evidence. Those who were blind receive sight. Those who were lame walk. Those who were diseased, skin is cleansed. Jesus wasn't into proving himself. When Satan examined him the three different times, he finds that, no, Jesus is not about proving himself as the Messiah. Satan departed from him until an opportune time according to Luke's text. Jesus' voice today is heard in the hungry, in the pleas of the wrongly imprisoned. <clears throat> the unexpected ways in which the Spirit is working in the world are literally the gatherings of people from Sunday to Sunday, sometimes back here, as we gather for coffee and 15 or 20 people gather around tables to prepare meals for the hungry. And then the visits of those who go out to San Quentin and talk with those imprisoned so that they can have a life when they get out. And ministries such as Centurion Ministries in Princeton, New Jersey, which has now released some 44 people, innocent People from prison sentenced many of them to life in prison but released Luke's account of a changed Peter in the book of Acts having now gained a kind of confident boldness he's no longer a denier and now he becomes a proclaimer of the gospel Luke describes how Peter begins the church with his preaching the gospel story that Peter takes on in the book of Acts passes from Peter onto Paul after his dramatic conversion, and then he moves out of Jerusalem, spreads to Samaria, the seacoast, Damascus, Antioch, Cyprus, Asia Minor, onto Europe, and finally Rome. And here we are, 1,500 years later, down here, in Marin County, St. John's Episcopal Church, the body of Christ. When the Reverend Wilda Gaffney began to shape the lectionary readings for the fourth Sunday of Easter, I think she purposely chose these texts with questions about leadership and authority, specifically leadership blessed by God. And slowly but surely, we're learning that God's voice is not gender related. Sadly, it took us almost 2,000 years to realize that. Reverend Gaffney has given us a lot of insightful guidance by way of her lectionary series. So here we are today with a woman as an associate rector in the Presbyterian Church beginning to ordain women in the 1950s. God's voice may not be only in one person. It may be in a movement today and in a variety of voices expressing justice and 
mercy and humility. And hopefully we can find, each of us, a movement in which to be involved with. Post-Easter, though, and post-COVID collide in a way. Easter's all about resurrection, and what we're finding is a diminished church post-COVID. When uh, Chris gave some figures, maybe back in January, he talked about the fact that here St. John's is down at least a third in terms of attendance on a regular basis on Sundays. Sociologists are going to have to have a few years in order to take the full effects of COVID on our lives and on our behavior. The church attendance was probably on decline long, long before COVID. Something out there in the culture has moved people out of a, a regular attendance in terms of the life of the church. In terms of history, the American church is really relatively young. It's taken on a lot of shapes since the pilgrims landed on the shores of Cape Cod. I was amazed maybe four or five years out of seminary to pick up a book and learn that we had 257 different denominations all across America. And my sense is what we've, what we've done is what has happened is we've decided to go out in the typical American individualistic way and go claim a sort of a faith of our own and build up a, a church here and a church there. Thankfully, there's the historic churches of, yes, <coughs> a much earlier age that have been steadfast in the Episcopal Church is there and the Presbyterian Church is there, but both, both sadly declining. The new expression for change in our culture is called an inflection point. So we say today we are at an inflection point in the life of the church. The words are used to express a turning or a changing environment without giving a whole lot of detail. There is detail. There's a lot of reasons for the change. <clears throat> I see in the life of St. John's, and that's why I'm a part of that life, is the fact that this church lives out this calling, this bidding of the Spirit. So I, I came for the first, I usually attend this service. So today I'm, I'm on, so I'm preaching at the 8 o'clock service. Heather graciously said, no, you don't have to do the 9 o'clock service, it's a baptism. But I thought, well, I'm going to, here at the 8 o'clock service, I might as well attend the 9 o'clock service, which was a baptism. Again, a unique gathering, multi-generational families. You're a unique church in that sense of the breadth and the spread of people who come here and who seek to live out faithfully as much as possible in their own lives that bidding and urging of the Spirit. I don't have any answers to all the questions <coughs> about the future and where we're going as a church. God's people. But I, I think we are called to live out with the insight of the poet Rainer Rilke. Rilke's poem, Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart. Try to love the questions themselves. Do not seek answers that cannot be given you. 
because you would not be able to live them. The point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. To follow the risen Christ is to embark on a life of service. And the scriptures are like a roadmap. The prophet Micah says, The Lord has shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? The scriptures tell us the story of the one who goes before us and who promises to be with us in all of life, even through the valley of the shadow of death, so that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.